Amen. As I was uh, thinking about this message again this week, I uh, was waiting on the Lord, and I just felt like the Lord said He didn't allow me to preach it Sunday because there were some here on Sunday morning that weren't at a point to receive this word yet. And uh, I felt liberty to go ahead and preach it tonight, so um, we'll receive it as a word from the Lord. When I think of names like Augustus, Tiberius, Gaius, Claudia, Nero, Marcus, Aurelius. Um, anybody know who those guys are? Roman emperors. Pretty powerful men. In fact, at that time, they were some of the most power- powerful, if not the most powerful men in the world. How do you think somebody would act if they entered the presence of some of these men that I just read their names? Reverently? You think they'd get a, uh, hey, buddy, give me a high five. You think they'd get one of those in their presence? Probably not. If you are approached by one of these men, How do you think you would handle that? Would you be attentive to what they said? Would you blow them off? Uh, How would you even address them as emperors? I can assume that respect would be shown of the highest honor, of greatest ability of humanity to these men. And uh, if people acted disinterested in what they had to say, what do you suppose would happen to that inter- individual? Yeah, I get, I get, I'm seeing some, a couple of you doing this. Very likely that you weren't hanging around the presence of those emperors too long. They were powerful men. Do you think if the king of kings is, and the lord of lords is going to allow himself to be treated without due honor and reverence? If these mere mortals... Would feel that way? Do you think he will give a nod and a wink when he's ignored and disrespected, referring to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ? If an emperor or a king expects that kind of respect, how much more should we revere and fear the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And uh, we're going to look at a very specific kind of fear, the fear of the Lord. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy Chapter 10, everybody on this half turned to Deuteronomy, everybody on this half turned to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Deuteronomy 10, 12, and Acts 9, 31. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Acts chapter 9. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. We have a lot of churches growing these days. They call them mega churches. But I don't know how much of the fear of the Lord is within the growth of the churches. 
We have a very feel-good gospel being preached today. I want to look at several aspects of fearing the Lord. First of all, the definition of the fear of the Lord. There's a human kind of fear, amen? A fear that we, we have. Columnist Ann Landers once said, she receives an average of 10,000 letters each month and nearly all of them with problems. She was asked if there was one predominant theme in the letters that she received and she said, the one problem above all others seems to be the issue of fear. People have fear. Fear of all kinds of things. Fear has a way of at, at least occasionally working its way into the fabric of any of our lives at one point or another. We can fear many things. We can have a fear of the future, a fear of failure, a fear of losing our job, a fear of death, a fear of people, a fear of the unknown, the what if that always looms in the back of our mind. First Samuel fifteen twenty four. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. The fear of man is a terrible thing. And there are many Christians today that are more fearful of what men think than what God thinks. And many of us are living chameleon Christianity. We're around certain groups of people, we act one way. We're around groups of people, we act another way. But God says, most importantly, learn to fear me himself. Learn to fear God. Every person must fight his or own fears. Even Paul, the sturdy Christian warrior that we know him as, had to do so. He wrote of his arrival in Corinth when he said in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. We found trouble all around us. We had fighting on the outside and fear on the inside, Paul said. Here's a powerful man of God saying, when I got there, I felt fear on the inside. I recently read how there are more phobias than ever before. And while the knowledge of these fears is increasing, one fear seems to be decreasing in our culture, and that is the fear of God. And it's decreasing not just in the world, but it's decreasing in the church. And we know that to be true because the world and the church look too much alike. If we desire to have a relevant, growing church that pleases God and ministers effectively to our community and the world, we must have a fear of the Lord. So let's talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is an attitude of loving respect towards God, which includes a healthy dread of displeasing Him. I don't mean that we walk around always wondering, oh God, you know, did I do the right thing? But many of us are more concerned about what it looks like to other people or what it looks like to us than what it looks like to God when we act in any particular way. It's a recognition of God's holiness, his justice, his righteousness as a counterpart to his love and his mercy. Because we like all the love and the mercy and the grace stuff. But as equal as he is all those things, he is a God of justice and he is to be feared. It is a holy awe of God and his glory, his holiness, majesty and power and awareness that he alone is God. And there is no one else like him in all of creation. It is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and it is to know God hates sin and will ultimately judge and punish those who continue to live in a lifestyle of sin. Does that bother you? You have those things in your life, and you over and over again fall into them. 
The fear of God is mentioned at least 18 times in the book of Proverbs alone. I'm reading through the book of Proverbs in my devotional time and just really allowing the Lord to speak. I mean, if Proverbs is a powerful book, it seems like you grab one verse and it just, you got to just hang out on that verse for a while and ponder that for a while. It's actually taking me a long time just to get through Proverbs. I know some people say read a proverb a day, one chapter a day, you know, one chapter for every day for the month. But um, I tell you, I I, uh, find myself laboring over those. The Hebrew word for fear is to have terror or awesome or terrifying thing, respect or reverence. In the Greek word, it's the word we get our word phobia from. It's phobos. Means to fear, to dread, terror, that which strikes terror. Now, both of those words in our uh, thinking and understanding of God kind of are almost outside of our context of God, aren't they? We like to sing, sing songs, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God, but I fear God. How many songs do we sing about fearing God? Do we have any in our repertoire i can't off the top of my head think of any but do we talk about or sing about the fear of the lord most of us would rather concentrate on the mercy of god rather than the fear of god but the bible takes the fear of god very seriously some see the god of the old testament and it's um as as one of one to be feared and it's mentioned the fear of god in the old testament is mentioned 158 times in the new testament it's only mentioned 40 times but it's there. Nonetheless, God flows in both grace and judgment before and after Jesus came into the world. And he cannot change who he is. It is his character. It's his character to have justice and to be the righteous judge. The God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament is the same God that destroyed Ananias and Sapphira for their sin in the New Testament. You remember the story. The scripture tells us that in Acts that they lied to the Holy Spirit and they were struck dead. God says in James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. So when we, we learn to correctly fear the Lord, he'll recognize that we begin to recognize that he's the creator and that we are the creatures that he's created. And we fear him for nothing else, if if not just for the awesome reverence of what he was capable of doing. I always marvel at the human body, just the eye itself. Any, Any one small function of the human body is phenomenal to me. We can't create such things that this little round thing in a socket up here is able to right now look out and and read colors and and people's expressions and tell my mind all of that stuff in a matter of seconds is amazing to me. I don't have to say, I, who is that back there? What color shirt is she wearing? Tell me that. It just automatically reads all that information to my brain. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. To put it simply, the fear of the Lord is a deep-seated reverence for God that causes us to want to please Him at all times. And this attitude will manifest itself in, in our having a respect for God and desiring to obey what He tells us to do throughout Scripture. What happens when the fear of the Lord is absent in a person, in a culture, or in a society? What happens to a culture? What happens to a person when the fear of the Lord is absent? 
Well, Paul describes such a situation. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. In verse 11. Romans 3, 11. We're going to read through verse 18. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation for this particular passage. Paul writes, No one has real understanding. No one is seeking God. All have turned away from God. All have gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. Their tank is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their speech is filled with lies. The poison of a deadly snake drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They are quick to commit murder wherever they go. Destruction and misery follow them. They do not know what true peace is. They have no fear of God to restrain them. That sounds like a pretty vile kind of culture, doesn't it? You've been around that environment at all? It's actually fearful to be in that environment, truthfully. You've sensed the lawlessness, the recklessness of it. When the fear of God is absent in the culture, people act as though God does not exist, or if he does, he doesn't care how they live. And the effect of that becomes devastating to any individual or any culture. Absolute truth in this day and age that you and I live in is almost non-existent. Absolute truth. It is difficult to agree on what is right and what is wrong. Sound familiar in this culture that we live in? There are consequences when a person or a nation disregard or disobey them. And if we violate his principles for the use of money, we will have poverty, financial bondage, and eventually economic collapse. And by the way, we are on the verge. What once was a godly nation now is referred to very openly and publicly as a post-Christian nation. And if we violate his design for sex, we'll have anemic relationships, diseases, abortion, and the like. If we violate his design for marriage, we'll have unfulfilled relationships, rampant divorce, and wounded children scattered all over the earth. If we violate his design for law and justice, the legal system will break down and lawlessness will reign. You just take a drive in some of our cities where it's just kind of crazy. There's a place really close to us here even that uh, someone told me uh, it's, it's kind of a, a dead end road. And you go down the road, it's a pretty rough looking neighborhood. And somebody said to me the other day, he said, you don't drive down that road unless you got a real person that you know down there because it gets dangerous down there. They come out with shotguns. That's kind of wild, isn't it? That's a little scary kind of environment, but that's people who have no fear of God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm eleven three, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations are being eroded under us. What can the righteous do? Well, the Bible speaks clearly about the benefits of those who would live in the fear of God. So let's talk about some of those tonight. Dividends of the fear of the Lord. First of all, it is the essence of life. To fear God is the essence of life. In Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life turning man from the snares of death. 
And then John 4, 13 through 14 from the message translation. Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give, this is Jesus speaking, I give with, will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. That's someone who came to Jesus. That's what uh, Heather's friend is longing for. She sees the life, the water flow from Heather, and she says, you found it, and I want to find it on my own. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to allow Heather to be the one that keeps pointing, keeps pointing, keeps pointing. This is Jesus. This is where you need to be. Water's not optional. It's essential for life, isn't it? You don't believe that. You just go this week without drinking any fluids. We'll be visiting in the hospital, if not in the graveyard. What is true of the physical is also true of the spirit. Your spirit and soul can't survive without being quenched by the living water. Jesus speaks of the spiritual vitality that Christ pours in us by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's what we experienced last Sunday morning, wasn't it? We had the rivers of living water that were flowing in this place. And we all felt refreshed. I know I did. Went away just, ah, that was good. In John 7, 37, 38, Jesus said, If you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Have faith in me and you will have life-giving water flowing from deep inside you, just as the scripture says. In addition to quenching our spiritual thirst, Proverbs 22 and verse 4 tells us, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor in life. We fear the Lord, it brings wealth and honor to our lives. So the, the fear of the Lord brings a lifestyle that allows you to put your, your head on your pillow at night and sleep comfortably because there are no fears. There's nothing distracting you because you've done everything in a righteous manner. You don't have to look over your shoulder. As I said before, when I'm driving down the road doing 70 miles an hour, my eyes are always in the rearview mirror and always around the next corner. But when I'm doing 55, I can just put the cruise control on and everything's cool because I'm not having anything to fear. And life is the same way. If you live reckless, you're always looking over your shoulder and looking around the next corner for what's going to happen. But the peace of God that comes when we fear him and we fear his rules and laws and regulations. Proverbs 3, 7 and 8 tells us the fear of the Lord even affects our physical bodies. Listen to this verse. Fear the Lord and turn your back on evil. Then you will gain renewed health and vitality. Hey, you want a pill to sell? That's a great one right there. All kinds of pills being sold to renew your vitality. You know, get some ginseng, get this, get that, you know. New drinks that you can get. All kinds of energy drinks. How about just turning to the book of Proverbs and doing some fear of the Lord? It'll renew health and vitality to your life. And secondly, it's the beginning of wisdom. Isn't that what the scripture tells us? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in understanding you know what the difference between knowledge and wisdom is? Knowledge is gaining information and facts and understanding. But wisdom is taking those and knowing how to use them properly. There's a lot of people, the scripture says in the last days, there will be men who are heaping upon themselves, learning, and just piling on loads of information. But the wisdom of God is lacking in our day and age. Got a lot of smart, smart people down in Washington, but they're really terrible when it comes to using the wisdom. 
There's more to life than learning information and technical skills. These skills teach our children how to make a living. But the fear of the Lord, coupled with the truths of the Bible, teach them how to live. I would rather learn how to live more than I would like to learn how to make a living. And we've done a great job at teaching a whole generation on how to make a living and not really how to live. Because we've told them that things are the way to make a living. If you have more toys, you can be happy. And the problem is we've got a whole generation of guys my age and and a little younger and some a lot older that have had all the toys in the world and they're still not happy. That's why I mentioned this morning that Gen Y, those guys that are 29 and younger, they're saying, you know what, we realize the foolishness of all that. We just simply want to have real, meaningful, tangible relationships that are heartfelt. When a culture focuses only on acquiring knowledge without wisdom, the, God, the wisdom of God, the result is educated barbarians. <laughs> We've got a few of those around, don't we? And thirdly, the fear of the Lord motivates people to holy living. If you fear God, you can't help but want to live holy. Isn't that right? Proverbs 8.13, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. Solomon said, the major problem in this world is not poverty, disease, war, and justice. These are the effects of our greater problems. The main problem is the three-letter word sin. It all evolves from there. And the fear of the Lord instills a God conscious in us. In Proverbs 16.6, Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Fear of the Lord. Many of you in here tonight in your day-to-day living, there are things that your flesh wants to do, but the Spirit of God inside of you has that, I call them red flags. You just kind of go up. Bing! And you, you have, you have a, uh, the, the curve of the temptation and the desire, and then you either give into it, and it's really like the first 10 seconds of when that temptation hits you. If you don't nail that thing in the first 10 seconds and, and, and fulfill something about, speak to your spirit something about the fear of the Lord, and if it goes past that 10 or 15 seconds, what's going to happen is the temptation is going to become greater, 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 and eventually you're going to get into it, and you're going to fall on the other side, and you go, oh, I did it again. Why did I get there? It's because when the initial temptation came, you didn't recognize it where it came from, and you feared uh, losing the thrill more than you feared the judgment of God upon your life. I once heard the story of a father who was trying to teach his teenagers to be more discerning about what they watched on TV. This was a great story. His kids brought home a questionable movie from the video store, and the kids tried to sell their dad on letting them watch it and telling him it, it's just a little bit bad. It doesn't have a lot of bad stuff in it. Dad, it's just got a little bit of bad stuff in there. Most of it is really good. And the wise father just said, okay, go ahead and watch the movie. And as they began to watch the movie, he went out in the kitchen and he started making some fudge brownies. And soon the smell of the brownies started wafting through the air and the kids could smell it. And, oh, Dad, what are you making? It smells good. And they started drooling. 
And then their dad said, well, I'll, I'll let you know in just a few minutes. And when they were finished baking, the dad brought this tray of delicious looking brownies into the room. And just as the teens grabbed for a handful, he stopped them and he said, hey, I hope you enjoy these brownies. I put it all in the normal good stuff, sugar, cocoa, chocolate chips. And then I added just a little bit of uh, dog poop from the backyard. Uh, but don't worry, there's just a little bit in there. The rest is really, really good. And then the kids all went, ah. I wonder how many of us are settling for just a little bit of dog poop in our entertainment and thinking it's okay. Isn't it amazing when we look at the reverse? See, we're looking at the good as though that outweighs the bad. In fact, isn't that way many of us live our lives? Well, God doesn't really, really hate me because I really do a lot of good things and I'm not really, really a bad person. In fact, many of the world look at God that way. If I just do enough good things, then God will let me into heaven. And if I just minimize the bad things in life, he'll look at the scale and he'll say, you know what, that person has done a lot of good things and very few bad things. But that's not the way God looks at things, is it? He looks at the heart. He looks at the obedience and the sacrifice that we do in fearing the Lord. How much evil are you willing to tolerate in your life? The degree to which you fear the Lord will be the degree to which you hate evil. That's really a more powerful statement than we're giving it credit to right now. I'm going to repeat it. The degree to which you fear the Lord will be the degree to which you hate evil. I want you to think about that moment. Put that in the equation of your life. Put that in your day-to-day life. Because one leads to the other. You don't start by mustering up hatred for evil in order to develop a fear of the Lord. The more you learn to fear the Lord by respecting his holiness and his power, the more you will naturally hate evil and its influence in the world and especially in your own life. I remember years ago being laden with a particular sin in my life. And the thing with sin, the scripture says that it brings pleasure for a season. All of you that have been down this road walking in sin, you understand what that's like. But it always has a distaste a little later on somewhere, especially if you call yourself a believer and have the Holy Spirit living in you. There's a time when that sin brings distaste. And I remember coming to a place in my life that I actually got where I hated the sin No longer did I look at it and say, wow, that's pleasurable. But I got this holy anger even that rose up inside of me to the point where I wasn't going to participate in that any longer because of the hatred I had for it in my life. And Paul admonishes us in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Having such great promises as these, dear friends, let us turn away from everything wrong whether of body or spirit, and purify ourselves, living in the wholesome fear of God, giving ourselves to Him and to Him alone. Are you living in willful disobedience to the clear commands of Scripture? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can. 
Are you gossiping at the office? Are you known by your peers for verbally cutting co-workers to pieces? I'll never forget when I asked the question, what does sarcasm mean? And Ken and his technology back there in a matter of seconds said it means the cutting of the flesh. Sarcasm. I don't think sarcasm has a place in Christianity myself. Every once in a while I get around groups of guys. And I've been around groups of preachers before. In fact, we have a group of pastors that meet and they were very jovial and in their very nice way, just kind of making the jabs at each other and because one's Baptist and one's Presbyterian and they were just jabbing at each other and the Holy Spirit just came over me in this meeting of 15 to 20 pastors and I started weeping and I said, guys, this stuff has got to stop. I said, if we're going to have the unity of spirit in Chambersburg amongst the pastors, we can't be doing what we're doing. There's no place for sarcasm in the body of Christ. I really, I, I don't know why. It's tender. It's, it's one of those issues for me that in my flesh, I, when I'm around it, man, I, I, I get weird. I don't like it at all. Even if it's meant in jest and just fun, I have a hard time with it. How about somebody making fun of a disability or ridiculing the physical features of another person, criticizing those who are financially less fortunate than them? Are you involved in stealing from an employer? Are you filled with hate and unforgiveness toward another person? Going back to this one of uh, making people who are less fortunate, just this past week I heard a young lady. She's actually a single mom. And she was saying, you know, I used to make fun when I was in high school of these girls who got pregnant and were single moms, and here I am now, one of them. You ever notice how the things that we make fun of somehow have a way of coming back to bite you if you're not careful? Are you living a double life, attending church some weekends and on the others, getting wasted, using alcohol, using drugs, hooking up at parties, Do you regularly take God's name in vain and is it to the point where it doesn't even bother you anymore when you do it? I'm aware of people who attend this church. And when we look at them, the face looks all good, everything's all right. But behind the scenes, God's name gets thrown around recklessly, abusively. Are you committing adultery with someone who's not your husband or wife? Are you... Cheating on tests at school? Are you addicted to pornography, computers, DVDs, adult channels? Are you treating your spouse disrespectfully, verbally, or physically abusing them? I wrote in my notes, I beg of you, be reconciled to God. Don't justify these actions or excuse them any longer. God can call them what they are and they are sin. And he wants you to do the same. He wants you to label it what it is. It is sin. Learn to hate sin as God hates it. And then do whatever it takes to live in holiness. Make whatever changes are necessary to live in holiness. I remember years ago, I 
I can just be honest with you tonight. And the re- only reason I'm ever honest with you is I want you to know that this preacher is not a perfect guy. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm living where you're living. I'm going through the same things you're going through. I remember years ago, before I went into ministry, I had an inappropriate relationship at work. And my dad, I, I, I wept with my dad one day in the car and, and uh, was telling him, you know, how I was feeling about this other lady. We, we didn't have anything going on physically, but I, I could tell they were emotionally I was going places that I shouldn't go. And I was fearful of that. And I wept in my car with my dad one day when he came and took me out to lunch. And my dad's advice to me was, Joe, you need to quit this job now. I remember as a young man, knowing that I had the support of family, I had a, my oldest boy was living at the time, and uh, my wife was still going through school, and I thought in my mind, I rationalized, I said, I can't quit this job, I need, I need this job. But looking back, I wish I had listened to my dad's advice. There's no money in all the world that's worth losing the battle towards sin. And that's why I say, do whatever it takes. Make the changes necessary. I honestly believe that if you are aggressive enough about sin in your life and you do the bold thing. My daughter said to me years ago, Dad, thanks for showing me that doing the right thing isn't always the easy thing. But when you take that hard choice and you make that hard stand and you say, God, whatever it costs, I'm going to do the right thing. God always honors that. And he always blesses that. You'll never find yourself on the short end of the stick when you honor the word of God and fear him that way. Heed the words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 17. Be ye holy now in everything you do, just as the Lord is holy. He invited you to be his child. He himself has said, you must be holy for I am holy. And remember that your heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites when he judges. He will judge you with perfect justice for everything you do. Catch that. He doesn't look at me different because I'm a preacher. Or some sweet little old lady different because she's a sweet little old lady. He looks upon our spirit and he judges us justly for what we do. So act in reverent fear of him now. From now on until you get to heaven. The dividends of living in the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. It's the essence of life. It's the beginning of wisdom. And it motivates us to live a holy life. And also prolongs life. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. This is not a blanket promise because any number of things can happen along the road of life that can take us out of here in an instant, whether you're righteous or unrighteous. The scripture says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. However, generally speaking, those who live in the fear of the Lord are more likely to live a good old age than someone who's not living in the fear of the Lord. Some medical authorities believe approximately 60% of human illness can be treated directly or indirectly to fear. Catch this. 60% of our illnesses can be directly linked to fear, envy, resentment, guilt, hatred, or to any number of things that the Bible tells us that we should avoid. That's a pretty high percentage, 60%. 
of our sicknesses. If you were in Jay and Vicky's class this last quarter, that's kind of what the class was all about. That many times sicknesses in our lives are there because there are issues in our life, many of which we just mentioned. That if we don't address those, it eventually brings on physical symptoms in our life. So it's easy to see that a life lived in the fear of the Lord with obedience to his word will result in a longer, not to mention a healthier existence. And then it produces a sense of confidence and security. Proverbs 14, 26, reverence for the fear of the Lord gives confidence and security to a man and his family. Isn't it easy to become fearful and stressed? when you're faced with the kind of situations that we're faced with in this day and age that we live in. And at times our normal support system can break down, but we're, we're talking about peace of mind here that God brings into our life. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. Oswald Chambers wrote, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. (laughs) Isn't that powerful? Romans 8 says, If God is for us, finish it for me. Who can be against us? So much more I want to say, but I'm going to stop right there. Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit search all of our hearts tonight. And ask the musicians to come back. Holy Spirit, I give you freedom to search my heart. I know that there are areas of my life where it's marginal. I know this last couple of weeks you spoke to me concerning some of the the entertainment that I watch and you know PG thirteen used to be a, a rating that was okay to watch, but it seems anymore that the line of what's allowed on PG thirteen movies is even kind of questionable. It certainly should allow some of our spirits to cringe. Father, I pray that in every area of our life that your Holy Spirit would continue to draw us and bring us to a place where we fear you more than we fear man. To fear you so that we wouldn't have to be afraid of the other things that we find ourselves so quickly afraid of. God, I'm praying that you'll raise up within this body men and women that know what it means to fear God to live according to your word, to make the hard calls and the hard choices when our flesh is screaming for pleasure and pride and power and prominence. That you, God, would bring us a place of humility and brokenness and surrender. 
so that we can be the people you want us to be in this day that we live in. If you're here tonight and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you at any time during the message, a particular area of your life that needs to be addressed, would you, would you right now just take time and exercise that wonderful gift that God's given us, the gift of repentance? If nothing else, at least the gift of confession, that you can just confess that before the Lord. Let Him know that, that your spirit is, is pricked by that area of your life again. Let Him know that you know that the Holy Spirit put His finger on it again. and Say, God, it's that one thing. As Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Lord, you put your finger on that little spot again in my life. God, as we, we do that collectively tonight, I Lord, whether the issues of fear in our life or fear of all kinds of things or they're just blatant sins. Father, I pray that you'd give us a holy hatred. <laughs> God, give us a holy hatred. Give us a holy hatred, Lord, for the things that are displeasing to you. Let the fear of the Lord be the prominent character of our hearts, Lord. That you'd look upon us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, help us, teach us to fear you. Teach us to have respect and awe, reverence for your power and for your might, Lord God. <laughs>